my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Bowden. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, Latinx, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida at the practice of Midwife Love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Hi and welcome. I am Augustine Colebrook, and I am the principal and director at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. Welcome back, wherever you're joining us. And we have a very special guest on the line today. So I hope you'll stay tuned and hear all about some of the controversies in midwifery right now, what's happening on the East Coast of the US, specifically in New York. And I hope you'll stay tuned to join my guest. So I'm so excited um to add our lovely lovely tanya is the director of manhattan birth and she's a longtime friend of mine and here she is hello hi we're doing it how are you how great to see you so great to see you oh my gosh it's been a little too long no there's a lot yeah. that's under the bridge since the last no. time I saw you. <laughs> no, I'm so excited to see you too. Yeah. Well, so do you think we should do earphones or can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Okay, fantastic. Well, welcome everyone who's joining us. If you are tuning in, um, hit that wave button, hit that like love button. Tell us where in the world you are tuning in from. And welcome, Miss Tanya. So some of our audience doesn't know who you are, although they will very soon because you are coming as a speaker and mentor, hopefully, at the Midwifery Wisdom Experience in November in Galveston. And so we're going to talk a little bit about your topic because it's pretty juicy. But also, I just want to like check in with you and say, hey, it's good to see you all these years later. I can't wait to see you this year. And so much is gone on in your life, in my life, in the world. And there's so much to catch on. So um, right now, though, there's some really big stuff happening in the U.S. And so I'm very out of the U.S. And so <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
what happens. <laughs> man, man, we just go from like pandemic to political craziness all the time, don't we? Back and forth, back and forth. We do. And I feel like things like that seem to be so unbelievable happen all the time. And, I, you know, I'm sort of like a, a, an optimist, I think, which is why I'm usually late to things. But I, you know, I really like, I kind of like heard about this leak last night and felt sick to my stomach. And then I was like, move it on, Wills. Like, <laughs> get to work. Get to work. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I love that. That That is a great takeaway from the controversy and the leaked papers and the worry about autonomy and sovereignty over the uterus is to just be like, well, that's the invitation to get to work. I love that. So tell us, what are you working on right now? What's big in your life? So much going on in my life, but my newest baby that I'm so excited about is that we have a midwifery mentorship program here at Manhattan Birth for students and new midwives. Um, and here on the East Coast, that usually means a mix of CPMs and CNMs. And I really love the opportunity that it has sort of brought for like greater understanding between folks that have been trained a little bit differently and also just acknowledging that really, I mean, the way that these licenses and credentials and training has sort of been waved in front of all of us is sort of a thing that really isn't helping anybody. And as soon as we recognize where that comes from, we can drop yeah. it, get to work and, and heal ourselves from those things that have sort of come up before us that have made us think we weren't good enough to do our work or that we're not prepared or that we won't be respected or any of these types of things. So it's been so wonderful. And, you know, I mean, I know that you know this, Augustine. It's like when you mentor people, you, you get something out of it yourself. So I'm a little less uh, that way. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We're, we're kind of lucky that way, right? Yeah. And I got the opportunity to mentor you a little tiny bit back in the day. I was much, and, much needed it, when I first became a midwife on my own and I just was so lost. And yeah. there you were right at the right time. <laughs> it's amazing. And now you're paying it forward. You've got a whole crew of folks that you're working with, which is epic. So just a quick bio. We kind of scooted right past it because I'm so excited to see you and talk to you. But um, you started Manhattan Birth. You went to Yale Midwifery. Fill in the details. What else about you? I did. So I started Manhattan Birth back in 2009 uh, as a doula. And, you know, I came to doula work after giving birth, much like many people do. And uh, it was through that work that I started to learn about reproductive justice and about birth work and about uh, what a calling really is. And so I was called to midwifery. And I, uh, here in New York, a lot of people who are watching probably know that the, the laws are really funky. And I knew that I wasn't moving. My partner is a Broadway stagehand, and that's their career. So like, I kind of feel like I wanted to, you know, not have that fight. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that means you're going to get a CM or a CNM if you're going to practice here. And uh, I applied to Yale, and I got accepted um, and so that's where I went. And when I was there, I also got my WHNP and I got my IBCLC, uh, basically so I could get papers and start helping people in the town where I live. And, you know, I thought so long and hard about how do I want to train? And it finally came to me that I did not have, I mean, if I wanted to stay in New York, I didn't have a choice. And right now we're really 
hoping that that is going to change very soon because there's a big push to license uh, CPMs in New York State. We need more midwives so, so desperately here in New York. We can't handle the load. So I really, really hope that it goes through and follow NYCPM if you're not already doing that. And, yeah. uh, and that's my story. So I graduated mm -hmm. and uh, was offered a job with my own uh, midwife uh, as a home birth midwife here in town and she stood by me and taught me how to sew because I didn't know how to when I graduated and like you know all these sorts of things and I feel like I learned more in my first five births after graduation you know in that slow care model than I ever did at the you know hundreds of <laughs> Which is why it's so important to advocate for the apprenticeship model and the mentoring that you're now offering and that I do offer is that that one-on-one -on -one makes such a difference. I love that. It's so needed and it's needed in an independent way because the structures, and this kind of goes into my talk, because the structures that are currently in place to educate midwives, there's sort of one model that's sort of this apprenticeship model that is sort of at war with itself right now about how it wants to go about doing that, right? Yeah. And then this... Um, you know, enter the medical model, train in the hospital, read the evidence, and don't ask questions. Like, this is the fashion. Read the evidence, provide evidence-based care. And by the way, if where you work is providing evidence-based care, um, no one cares what you think. <laughs> oh, my God. You've summed it up. This is the crisis of being free in the U.S. Yeah. Oh, and then you forgot. There's five, there's 50 different laws. <laughs> And then, yeah, there's 50 different laws because apparently oh the way that uteruses get cared for is now a state to state thing, or that's been drafted at least. So, <laughs> and you know, why is that different from nursing? Why is that from any, from veterinary school, <laughs> from medical school? Like, why are midwives the ones? And all of the things that people might be thinking about as we discuss are the problem with evidence-based care. That is the problem. And especially if you work out of the hospital, although there are many problems in the hospital with evidence-based care, if you work outside of the hospital, none of that is done on the people that we take care of. That's right. Zero. That's right. That's so right. we sort well, of like- Or the, or the, or the, um, the, the mana stats, uh, studies that are being done are the only ones done on our populations and routinely those are discredited in the medical books so they're not even counting as actual evidence that's right and the way that those because of who has published those studies because of everything that is behind the system in which we work you know there's always going to be somebody who can plop out a study with birth certificate data faster then we can come up with the mana stats. And even yeah. you know, within the midwifery community, it's like who's providing the mana stats, who's not participating in it. It's all very uh, wild westy. And, yeah. and by the way, you know, is the answer to make it more structured and make it more patriarchal and make it more white yeah. supremacist? No, no, definitely not. No, no definitely not. only model that capitalist model that this country really has. So how do we as midwives say, we provide good care, even yeah. if we play that? Yeah, 
It's a fantastic question. I want to give a shout out to Melissa Cheney, who has been a huge part of maintaining the Manistats for all these years. And Misty does a tremendous job, and I don't want in any way to come off as somehow, you know, the, the records aren't kept well or that the design of the studies that they allow in is not great. But the controversy and the conflict between the patriarchal capitalistic for-profit medical model and the with woman or um, you know traditional midwifery uh, pathway, that's the conflict is the problem, not, not the people. I just wanted to make sure and say that. Oh, 100%, 100%. Yeah. I think also there's, there's this division in midwifery because of the model about yeah what midwifery even is yeah exactly if you look at like even you and i we have different degrees different pathways different license different everything and there's we're both midwives we align so much on so many pieces but on paper we look actually radically different and this is part of the problem is that the definition of midwife isn't even defined it isn't even settled in the u.s we have no idea i mean we still have you know, the ACNM that won't take nurse out of their title. Like, they won't do it. I know. It's like, you guys, you got to do it. You got to, or it's not going to ever progress, you know? Yeah. We've got to align. Somehow, we've got to align. Absolutely. I'm so excited to, about, about the Midwifery Wisdom Collective and about the Midwifery Wisdom Conference because it's an opportunity for folks to come together and to just say, Let's just question for a second. Yeah. Have I ever called somebody a medwife? Yeah. And who did I hurt by doing that? Yeah. Yep. Or crunchy, granola midwife, hippie midwife. midwife. It goes all ways. And it's part of that division. I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but it's it's a kind of a, a crisis, this, this, these, these silos and these camps where, you know, it's almost like, the division is wanted, like the division continues to be created from within and without. We look at abuse paradigms, right? This is what happens in abuse paradigms. We have horizontal violence. We have all of these abuses and hazing and, and, and discrimination. And, and we are a part of that. But all of that is a part of scarcity. It's a part of scarcity mentality and processes. And I think one of the things I'm so excited about is shifting us into like my version, and this is kind of, we're getting kind of into the woo, but my version is that the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's actually enough. Oh yeah. I want to move us from scarcity to this culture of enough. And one of the things that we're doing with Midwifery Wisdom Collective is we are focusing exclusively on the location of care, not the provider type. So our organization centers community-based providers. So it doesn't matter whether you came to the profession as a CPM, meek, PEP, CNM, CM, naturopathic doctor, midwife, or an MD or a DO who owns a birth center or is providing community-based birth. What matters is the location of care because the care is the same. The model of care in the community-based setting is the, is the same, regardless of who renders it. And the care in the hospital generally turns out to be pretty much the same, regardless of who renders it. And so when we make this division, it actually is a lot safer and it makes a lot more sense because I mean, 
you and I have talked, CNMs as the system is currently set up, do not graduate ready to do community-based birth. They don't graduate unless <laughs> they went and found that information. You know, they're not ready to resuscitate a baby and no. draw labs and deal with a 911 call. And you know, they're not ready for it. Even if they learn the skill of midwifery in the hospital, when there's a button push, there's no backup in a community setting. And so it's like an entirely different level of learning. I love that's why you're doing the mentoring you're doing. Angela Love in Florida is also really passionate about bringing CNMs into community-based birth. We have, I think, six or seven CNM speakers at this event, and we really want to see this come back in force. And of course, the pandemic has brought a lot of new customers. Um, and so it's, it's really exciting. But one of the things I'm so excited about is dissolving these barriers and saying we all come from the same camp, community-based birth. And that's why I think we're having success where other organizations haven't. I'm so glad you're a part of it. Yeah, really, yeah I'm glad that it exists as well. And I think that, I think that the, the, my credential is better than your credential thing for wherever you practice is basically just, it's just pissing off territory. It's just the exact yeah. Behavior that we are fighting against in order to help the people that we're trying to help have agency over their bodies. And when we subscribe to that, we're just breaking down what we have. And unfortunately, it's so like ingrained, particularly in the American system, this idea of like, who knows what's best for your health? You know, who knows what's best in your own profession? What is sort of the hierarchy that is there? And looking up the ladder to say, is there somebody above me who can tell me if I'm right? And then if the data says that I'm right, then I can shout to everybody that I know the data and that I'm right. And this is the stuff that keeps us down. It doesn't help yeah. us. So yeah. it's big, big problem. And of course, you know, I need to tell you that if we midwives are confused about how we're supposed to be behaving professionally to advance our own profession, um, that the people we're trying to help are also wa just wildly confused. Yeah, wildly confused. Yeah, the definition isn't confusing. The, the 50 different laws is confusing. The five different entries to the, the community-based birth profession is confusing. And then we have this patriarchal overlay, right? So professionalism as it applies to the medical model means that you wear different clothing, that you remain dressed where other people get undressed, that you can't be actually reached. There are all of these firewalls for people not to be able to access you. And then um, the very dynamic of a patient laying in a bed and you standing over them is this crazy power dynamic that exists in the medical model. And midwives all, we kind of rally against all those pieces, right? Like there's, there's something really wrong with that power dynamic. And yet, because it's the mainstream, we get a whole lot of flack. Now, I know that you're a revolutionary and I've seen you revolutionize all kinds of things. So given that what we're doing looks unprofessional with the, the standard definition, tell me, how do you handle that? Like, I know that you don't dress up in a white coat and stand over people. So, so tell me, like, how have you maintained your excellence and your integrity and your professionalism without buying into the patriarchal standards? Tell, tell me how you, how you manage that on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, I think the first thing is just recognizing 
where it's showing up for me deep down in my beliefs about who I am as a person and as a midwife. And really understanding that the work that I do, what I do, and why I do it. And, and I think also acknowledging that even when I wear my street clothes, you know, or whatever, uh, and, you know, sit at the feet of the person who's laboring and give people agency over their bodies, there's still a power dynamic in that room. And I have to be very, very careful with that. Very careful with that. And to realize that no matter what that system says, there is a person who is going to be impacted probably for the rest of their lives way that I handle this. And I think over time as a midwife, I started to learn that the answers to a lot of these questions are actually in my own self-exploration. Yeah, I mean, after you learn the arts and crafts parts of midwifery, right? You learn how to sew, you learn how to help people with lactation, <laughs> you know? And of course, you know, you, you learn how to watch a, a million labors and you know what normal is and what is normal. Somebody's bleeding, you get the arts and crafts out. Like, you know, like we know like this stuff. Then there's sort of this whole of like, what am I doing? If the ACNM is putting out, you know, literature that has people dressed up in scrubs with a, you know, shower cap on that says, you know, we're just like doctors, we midwives. It's like, that's not what midwives are. And what not really are we? And because of this battle, we can't define it. So for me, um, I, I definitely have not been perfect in my practice from the beginning until now. Uh, but each day I'm learning and changing and meeting people where they are. And I can do my job as a midwife in terms of like, you know, um, if there's an emergency handling it. It's like, look, if somebody's bleeding, you can handle the bleed or you can freak out and handle the bleed. Like, which one do you want to do, you know? Right. So, like, <laughs> you know, totally. yeah, uh, like, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we do that? Like, it, the answer is not out here, the answer is in here. So right. it's bringing all of that um, I think to the forefront and really learning how to observe what's around me and what my part is in every single case. And yeah, I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. And I, I love what you said around like that inside job that, that everyone who like three years past graduation, you do suddenly kind of take stock and look around and be like, okay, I got it. Like I, I got this birth thing. Now what? Who am I? What am I doing? Oh, this is actually a political act. Oh, I'm a part of the community conversation around sovereignty and authority. When you do that and, and you do it consciously, right? Some people might do it unconsciously and develop coping skills that are not so healthy. But when you're doing that consciously, you, you come to this place of being like, now what? And this, I think, is what's really missing in the leadership of midwifery in our nation. And I mean, in all institutions and in most of the loud voices out there, the leadership is ignoring the sacred part of this process. And with the academicization and the institutionalization of midwifery, we somehow have prided ourselves on the evidence, right? Without acknowledging what else is actually going on. We're talking about sovereign sovereignty in decision-making and authority over the body. Then 
we have to do a lot of inner work. And this is where I think the next step of midwifery is really evolving. And, you know, it just sort of barely scratched the surface of this conversation when we suddenly had cultural competency classes to take, you know, <laughs> which they make me, I mean, that phrase alone makes me crazy. As if you could ever be competent in someone else's culture. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually insulting. Yeah. Really, humility is a better word. We need to have cultural humility. But, but as these classes have started to be mandated, we're starting to have a conversation of now what, right? Um, we start to talk about um, culturally matched care, uh, reducing perinatal outcomes and reducing depression, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a bigger conversation, wouldn't you say? Like there's a much bigger conversation and it has to do with birthing justice. And this is a real passion of yours. Yeah. Will you, will you take this? I mean, we don't, this isn't, you know, like five class 540. And that's where I really want to go with you. But can we go a little bit, a little bit deep into this and tell us a little bit about what birth, birth justice means to you and how you are approaching that on your daily life. I mean, how do we not go in right into class 540 when we talk about these topics? We can't not do it. I know. So go, go as deep as you want. Dive yeah, in, girl. Dive in. But, you know, when you look at it, the first issue is that 101 hasn't been covered. That's right. But 101 has really been culturally censored. Yeah. So how do we even get to 540? Yeah. And you know, we as midwives are looking at our folks and being like, oh, my gosh, like, we're back at 101. Yeah. How do I, you know? And sometimes our job is taking people from 101 to 102. But I want to say one other thing about about this and about I think about birth justice in general is that I think midwives need to begin to know what they do, why they do it, how they do it, and what they're willing to defend. Because I'm not willing to defend myself ever. Mm. This is what I do. I don't need anybody's family to agree with me. I don't need anybody at a party that I meet to agree with me. That's a nice one. You go to your, your kid's school party and people ask you what you do for a living. You're like, oh boy. <laughs> I know, I think I would have borrowed Brene Brown's answer. Do you hear hers? When someone sits next to her in an airplane and they ask her, what do you do for a living? She goes, I study shame. How about you? And then they like <laughs> shut up. So I, I'm going to borrow that, I think, because it doesn't invite any conversation. <laughs> well, I think that shame, now that you mention it, and part of the reason why so many midwives are so interested in Brene Brown is the relationship between shame and yeah. the body. And the yeah. body. You know, yeah, so I think both in the people we serve and in ourselves, for sure. Absolutely. And what shame do we carry about the way that we work, even though we chose to work in this setting? So as far as justice is concerned, you know, what we do at Manhattan Birth is, um, you know, part of our, our our mission is very small. It's just to revolutionize the childbearing year. That's all. Tiny, tiny mission, tiny We're mission. And yep. the way that we are doing that is without asking permission, it's by doing it ourselves. So we are building an army of parents, of doulas, of midwives that have a community that understands why it needs to support each other, that is gonna meet people where they are and provide the care that the capitalist system, because of the way that it's structured and it's no doctor's fault, 
but because of that system that is in place, we provide the education and care that that is missing. And that really is the care for the whole family and the whole person, that unfragmented idea that, you know, it's okay if you need to have your baby in the hospital because you have a heart murmur or whatever, you know, um, you still deserve better care than they're giving you. You can wind up better than alive. And that is, that is birth justice across the board. So how do we do that? Well, we take a look at inequities we we and we decide that we're going to be anti-oppression. So we change the way that we teach things and the way that we price things to, to for BIPOC and LGBTQ and the people that we really need more of in birth work so that those outcomes can be improved. So we try to make that available. And then, of course, we've already had some of those folks that came into us go on and have their own mentorship programs and mentor yes. people and mentor by yes. and that's that that's the idea i love that i love what you said um you can end up better than alive yeah and that's a tweetable that's a really profound statement i mean it's 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 actually shocking and depressing uh that that's a needed statement in united states maternity health care but we all know the statistics bracken black and brown folks are four times more likely to die during the childbearing year than white folks in the US. And um, you, can, you can wind up better than alive is, is really shocking. And you are, you are addressing that. I love what you also said. You said birth justice is that, you know, birth justice is exactly that. And I think that's a revolutionary definition. I, I'm not sure I've heard it said so simply. I think everyone could get behind that. Like, that's not a hard concept to understand. Um, and I, I want to keep saying that. Like, I want that to be a really common statement now. Like, yeah, like how well, evidence, if the evidence is measuring outcomes by whether yeah. you end alive or whether you end up doing what they say, right? So like when you look at like lactation, like all the lactation yeah. studies, it's about like, did you follow what we told you to do? You know? <laughs> did you breastfeed exclusively till six months? Yes. Just on demand until one year, right? That's the instructions. Right? Forget America. <laughs> just forget like the position that people are placed in in America. And like, did you right. do it in that? It's like, what outcomes are we even measuring in these studies? And yeah. how do we even measure the type of work that we're, that we're doing? And so yeah. in every single, provider was looking at that person in front of them and saying thank you evidence for everything now what am i working with yeah yeah uh, well, so so lead us into this conversation right because your your topic at the experience this fall in november i hope everyone's coming give us a, a little heart if you are coming we want to see you there um your topic is uh say the name again evidence how, what the, the evidence the doesn't say the problem with evidence-based care the problem with evidence-based care. And so one of the problems that we've identified in this conversation so far is that they're not studying our population by and large, right? What, right. what are some of the other problems? I think a massive other problem is two, two things. One is sort of the way that evidence-based care has come into fashion. And we're gonna talk a little bit about how that was created and also about the systems that have been in place to allow evidence-based care to come through. And that is, if you look at medicine in this country and where those studies come from and the institutions from which those studies generally come from, it's racist and it's sexist. And 
we're asking them what we should do. Yeah. Mm. Can you just say that again? I mean, this, this can't be repeated enough. The systems that provide the evidence whereby clinical decisions are made are racist. They are. They're racist and they're sexist and they're, they're sexist because they don't, they don't acknowledge the systems that people who own uteruses have to work with once they yeah. walk at hospital or wherever. Yeah. Like breastfeeding is a perfect example, right? Like, yeah. Did you follow the breastfeeding advice? Oh, by the way, pumps cost $350 and you have to be back at work in six weeks. Yeah. Good luck. Right, and we've shamed you about your body enough that you're too afraid to ask for your pumping breaks. So, <laughs> like, yeah, but don't pump, don't breastfeed in public. That's inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it's also, this like, right, which is which is now that we've created so much so much around that. Also, don't bottle feed in public because I will judge you for that. Oh God, exactly. Lord <laughs> forbid. Oh, it's it's just damned if you do, damned if you don't. Oh my gosh. Well, um. Give us another example. What what is what else is wrong with the evidence? What's the problem when like there's a big push towards midwives saying, I have an evidence-based practice. I'm guilty of saying those phrases, right? Because we want we want to be the good girl, the good, the good midwife. We want to fit in, we want to be respected, right? But tell us what else is the problem. Well, I think it's a lot of what you're saying. It's this business about like what. If we know these things to be true, then why are we still saying it? And if we don't say it, does that mean that we don't care at all? Like, does that mean that we just cancel culture the evidence? Is that the answer? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. There's something in there. We have to be talking about this stuff. We do need money to be going to these things. But basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at different cases where we're looking at the evidence, we're looking at the person in front of us. What do we do and how do we defend that? Yeah. How do we defend? Oh. The other thing that we're up against evidence-based care is that there's a lot of, I want to say, like me, the social media influencers that we as midwives, I'm going to say, are up against. Because they're not taking care of people. They're just being influencers. And maybe they birth their baby a certain way. Or maybe they have a certain lens that is particularly on one population or or maybe people who think like them and somebody kind of, you know, is pregnant and is searching for a way to deal with the fact that this is happening to them because we don't teach people how to do that. And so <laughs> they come across these TikTok people and these YouTube people and these, um, you know, Instagram Instagrammers. people yes. like me and you right now. Yeah, and <laughs> me and you. yeah there's people coming across us. Okay. <laughs> and keep going, and keep going. Spill the beans. Is they hear things like, um, how do I say this? Like, the baby will come when they're ready. Right. That's not always true. Yep. That's not always true. Definitely not. They hear things mm. like, like um, your body won't grow a baby that it can't push out. That's not true. Not true. It's so natural for you to breastfeed. That's not true. None of this is true. And it's interesting. I just said to my 11-year-old gender-fluid child this morning, I said, listen, Roe v. Wade, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they said, I know, Mom, I know. And I said, listen, I said, this is, this is really, really big because it 
it goes into the patriarchy trying to control people having sex, which is a very natural thing. And you know what they said to me? They said, what? Mom, asexuality exists. Aromanticism exists. And I said, whoa, wake up, Wells. You really whoa. don't everything. And so there still is this, we have to recognize when someone has black and white thinking or is coming at us with like one sort of lane of thinking, all medicine is bad, all herbs are good, all this is good, all this is bad, and not be able to have a more nuanced conversation about all of the tools that may or may not be appropriate for the person in front of us. And I think as a midwife, one of the things that I learned is that I started asking myself based on, you know, I would say the community home birth beliefs and the evidence and the person in front of me, am I serving this person right now? Yeah. Am I serving yeah. that or am I just riding the wave of your baby, you know, it's as big as it is, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. That that's I actually prefer individualized care more than evidence-based care. Because we can use the evidence. I think a, a comment or two ago, Crystal Pena, a midwife in Arizona, said, I prefer the term evidence-informed practice. We can let the evidence inform our offerings, but it only really matters if we're actually individualizing care. And this is where midwifery shines. This is where actually we are the solution, the public health solution to the maternity care crisis is that we aren't offering formulaic cookie cutter protocol based care or providing individualized care. And it's just as dangerous um, to do everything as it is to do nothing. That balance that we're looking for is really where it's at. The balance between art and science, the balance between uh, we, we sometimes in midwifery, we're, we're talking about um, uh, evidence versus the ancient traditions, right? We're balancing all of these influences and ultimately we're balancing between that mom baby dyad birth or baby dyad, what they need in that moment. That's what we're balancing it against. Um, and there's a third player in this, and I always teach that the midwife is a part of this equation. Because if you aren't taking care of yourself in that, you can't serve the next client, and ultimately you endanger both the birther and the baby when your needs aren't also met. So it's this triad that we're, we're looking at in every birth and every clinic appointment. Um, and then there's a lot of players, right? So the rest of the family, the political environment, the backup hospital, like, like we could, we could keep like espousing on this forever, but ultimately it is that balance we're looking for. Absolutely. I know you work really hard to provide balance in your practice and, and with your folks. Tell us with the mentorship program that you're offering now, what, how are some, how, what's some of the ways that you're teaching balance to the folks that you're working with? I think we take a look at, well, first of all, most people come into the program wanting balance, but maybe not truly believing they're ever going to get it or that they even deserve it as a midwife who's trying to scrape their way to get people to maybe pay their fee. Or maybe if they're working in the hospital to get the you know, the physicians around them or even the other midwives around them 
to respect them and treat them well and to have the autonomy to really give the individualized care that we want to. And we all understand that there are, you know, parameters that the hospital has to have because of the large numbers of people that they take care of. And all of that makes sense, but there is wiggle room. And, you know, I think that what happens is we start learning about what is at play for our productivity culture. And in there, it is that it is a factory. We are the workers. Ooh. Yep, you're not so, wrong. I mean, that's what it is. And it's not to say like throw the whole thing out. It's to just say, wait a minute. You know, if you have, you know, if you feel like you're overgiving, you probably are. Your people are probably very, very, you know, capable of doing lots of things, you know. One of the examples that I always give folks is, you know, I, I also do a lactation certification program over the summer that is specifically designed. It's, we're actually, uh, we're enrolling for it now. It's called Integrative Lactation and Feeding Specialist Certification. And it's a credential that we created specifically for community-based birth workers because there are so many barriers to the IBCLC. It's total, for, for a credential that gives you nothing. nothing. <laughs> Like not what? even insurance reimbursement in most places. Yeah, and I mean, to no, do it, you have to have like 4,000 hours in the hospital. It's like, it's ludicrous. It's yeah. so yeah. idea that like, you know, seeing if a baby can nurse effectively or not, or if somebody can produce milk or can't, that's not a thing. That's not rocket science. Like this is yeah. something that people have known traditionally for years. And people didn't say, well, they just told me to keep breastfeeding and then my baby starved. Like that's yeah. not what happened. Like people would see yeah. that a baby was hungry. So teaching yeah. people like what these things mean and how to meet people. And then of course to um to go to go I forgot, I forgot what I was my point was, but anyway, um, <laughs> to kind of well, go with I, I think your course does more than just breastfeeding education. There's yes. also test feeding and fed information, correct? Also the person who is providing the milk information. Yes, right. That like milk is not a thing. It's a thing that comes from a person who is having an experience much more than that baby is. Yeah. yeah. So the baby's not going to remember. The person who's doing the, the nursing is yeah. not only remember it, they're going to define themselves so much by that. So we can make an enormous, enormous difference. Oh, this was my point. So I tell the breastfeeding people <laughs> that if somebody sends you 40 walls of texts at 11 o'clock at night, because they're clearly having some kind of feeding crisis, don't answer. Don't, don't answer them. And then the next day, whenever you feel like you've got the, the juice, you feel well resourced answer them and say, hey, sorry I didn't answer last night. How'd it go? And what you will find is that that person came to a perfectly good and suitable solution that belonged to them, that was successful and they didn't even need you for. And that's not really what we're here to do. I love that. That's the, that's the really advanced space holding that I think it's so hard to teach as mentors. I teach the same thing in midwifery, and I think you do too. Stop being a doula. Stop rubbing their back. Stop being a doula. If they want to hire a doula or make their partner or their friend rub their back, that's great. 
but that's not your role. And by continuing to respond to every whimper, you actually handicap their resource development. That's right. You become, you get, you enter into codependent relationship. And th this is another thing I'm really passionate about aside from mainstreaming midwifery and bringing us out of scarcity culture. I also really want to move us out of the codependent reality um, that, that many of us are living in, completely enmeshing with clients to the point that they have, there's no out. There's, there's never an opportunity for the client to develop their own two legs, right? Or if, if there needs to be another midwife at the birth, there's this crisis somehow that they were so attached to you that they can't let go. They can't see what's actually happening. And I, I think this happens so much. And midwives, unfortunately, are so lost in the ego of, of being needed, this, this codependent reality, um, that, that they actually do harm to their clients. And, and again, it's learned behavior, right? A whole bunch of our, of our entrance to midwifery, uh, most of us in, in direct entry midwifery at least, um, got trained in the martyrdom codependency of midwifery from preceptors. And so it's learned behavior, but we can, we can actually heal from codependency. Yes. We can, we can shift the power back to the birthing person where it's supposed to be and get ourselves out of the way. I mean, my work, it, it, how I see it is I like, I would very much like to be forgotten. Like if I've done my job correctly, five, 10 years from now, someone will be telling their birth story and they'll be saying, yeah, we had a midwife, but let me tell you about what my partner did for me. Or let me tell you about what having this baby was like. Yeah, what was her name? I, I didn't remember, but let me tell you about how it was what for me. What did I learn about myself in this process? And exactly. it's so beautiful to just see that happening or even like a year later you just like run into somebody or you see it on social and you're not tagged in the post and it look yeah. I tag me it's lovely i'm glad people know about me but this is the thing right. it is right. not about me it's not about us and yep. if it's not about us burn right out and and that's a really good question i think for everybody to ask and you know you know how we see it here in new york and i bet you they see it this way in la too Look, we all take care of celebrities. Yeah. We all do. Yep. Some people talk about it all the time. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that's it right there. Um, what does it really mean for you when you are indispensable? It actually means that you don't have a life. And now that person doesn't know that they can do it without you. And I think there's no, that, like, that's a pretty big harm to cause someone. And I, I hope we can reframe that. So in order to uh, get out of the codependency scarcity philosophy reality that seems to be plaguing midwifery as a profession nationally and maybe even globally, I have, I have three kind of thresholds that I encourage people to ask. Um, one is, is the first most important one, and it is, is this safe? Now, certainly, how do we define safe? That's part of the evidence conversation and your policy procedures and your community and your experience and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So 
the, the most common denominator of safe is going to be your community standard because lots of people have determined over many years of practice that this works, right? So when in doubt, default to your community standard and not necessarily the midwifery community standard, but the global or the, the whole maternity care model, right? So if your community standard says X, Y, Z, that, that's where you default. Certainly you don't always have to do that and there are ways to get out of it. But the question is, is this safe? Safe for me, the safe, next, safe, safe, safe for the midwife. Safe, safe, for, the, safe, safe for the birthing person, safe for the baby, and safe for me, the midwife. Absolutely. All three have to be true. But then what that all means is the complicated piece. But when, when we have a question about it, we default to the community standard of care. So that's for the baby, for the, for the birther, and for the midwife, for sure. They, they all need to be safe for it to actually be safe. If one's not safe, none of them are safe, right? So, so is this safe? The next threshold is, is this experience sacred? And again, this is a subjective word that's defined by the individuals participating in it. But what would be sacred, sacred, sacred to a, a Hasidic Jew might be different than is sacred to a, a Rastafarian mama, which might be different than is sacred to a Muslim mama, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, is this sacred? Is this process of welcoming a new human and going through the ritual of labor and delivery and supporting that process, is that sacred? Everyone defines that differently, but that's a part of birth, right? We can make cesareans sacred, right? It's not about the way that it happens. It's just, is this sacred for the people watching, participating, being, doing? And then the third threshold of care is, is this sustainable? And this is a question that goes and talks a little bit about time. We can't do this forever. Everybody has an end amount of energy, right? So sustainable has to be a part of that conversation. Um, this is a little bit about the midwife's ability to continue to serve their community. If being up for the fourth night in a row at a dysfunctional labor, makes you unable to serve the next client, then that's not sustainable care. Right. If taking that double footling breech birth in your community makes it so that you're not going to be able to serve or all midwives are going to be persecuted because of this care, that's not sustainable. We can't move the needle forward if birth is not sustainable. And again, this is also a subjective word and we define it based on many different levels. But I think the consciousness that we need to have, we need to ask these three questions. Is this safe? Is this sacred? And is this sustainable? And these three S's will continue to inform us regardless of the location of care, regardless of the, the pathway to education, even regardless of what's actually unfolding. If we continue to ask these questions at regular intervals throughout the pregnancy, throughout the care, throughout the postpartum, certainly in the labor and delivery, I think we'll all move the needle closer to providing that elusive, balanced care that, that really centers good outcomes and centers that sovereignty. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, I think we can add another S, which is, am I sitting here trying to save somebody? Like, yes. am I, is my ego yes. trying to save this person? Yes. Like their hero? You know? Yeah, let's stop heroing. <laughs> and that's that we do in, in the midwifery mentorship program is take a look at our own personal stories that we think brought us to midwifery. And it's not just, 
it's not the story I gave you. I had a baby and I was introduced to midwifery. It's usually much deeper than that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, understanding um, that most birth work, so when I teach class, I always talk about how there's four, four focuses that midwives can have. And, and if you can find the one that brought you, you can have a better job at unpacking it. So sometimes midwives end up there uh, because they're in it for the mother, for the birther, right? They themselves experienced birth trauma when they were giving birth or they witnessed some hospital trauma, whatever. Um, and they're in it for the empowered feeling of birthing your baby. That's their hyper focus. Some people are in it for the baby. The process of being welcomed on planet Earth is, is, is remarkable. Um, but if we um, if focus exclusively on the baby and ignore the other's needs, then, then we end up with that container um, care, right? Like lots of obstetrics treats people like they are just a vessel um, and it's for the baby and they're, they're not acknowledging the transformative experience. Then some people enter midwifery because they're in it for themselves. Um, and this is, um, this is a really important thing to unpack. Um, birth trauma, or like you said, that, that ego feeding thing. Yeah. Yeah. That ego feeding thing can, can really, really color the experience of the people you serve. Um, I think just recently on one of the big chat boards, there was some post about um, midwives repeatedly telling their trauma to clients. Um, and this also causes harm. Uh, I, I think we have to process that, that focus that brought us to the birth because ultimately we want to have a balance between the three, right? We're focused on the birther, we're focused on the baby, we're focused actually on ourselves. Have we eaten? Have we peed? Have we slept recently? Are we taken care of, right? Um, that's just as important as the safety of the other two. But, but so few are doing that work. Um, and I don't think it's for, I mean, I think it's unconscious, right? Don't you think as soon as somebody becomes aware of these influences that they are bound to self-reflect? And then, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think it's no fun to be in that place anymore once you realize that you could be free of it. Once yeah. you realize that the outcome, look, my job here is to have a safe and healthy outcome for this family, the best that I can do, the safest and healthiest outcome that I can have for everybody involved, including myself, right? Yeah. And it's not to be the breach midwife. It's not right. to be the midwife that saves everybody and takes the crazy right. case. And it's right. like, that's not what I'm here to do. I mean, look, if you have those skills to rip, of course you should. I don't mean that, but I mean, I mean, at the expense of other things. That's right. And we have yeah. to really look within ourselves to say, what is operating here? And this is where community comes in, Augustine, where you call another midwife, say, this is what I'm going through right now. Am I just being blank? Am I being exhausted? Am I being egotistical? Am I being inflexible? Am I being racist? Am I being, you know, triggered by this person's husband? Am I being like, what is it that's going on with me that I feel that I can't provide the, the proper amount of care to those three sort of parts of the triangle? And that's where community is so important. And if we can really look at building those communities, 
but we can trust that each other has the right things in mind and not just, I'm better than you, I would never do that. Somebody has a demise and everybody wants to know what happened so they can say they would never do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say, like, I love your solution of having a, a really tight and respectful and responsible community. But that is unfortunately so often not the case. Um, and in fact, there are there are several states in the United States that do not have protected peer review for midwives, which means that anyone who listened to your peer review of that bad outcome can testify against you in court. So I just would say, I, I wanna be cautious about this. I think you should not actively speak to your community unless you have a trusted community. Mm. And this is part of what we're trying to create at the Midwifery Wisdom Collective and at the conference this fall, um, is creating safe places for this growth to happen. Because when you're in a growth place, on a growth edge, it's vulnerable. And vulnerability requires you to take a risk right and when the risk involves being ostracized in your community being criticized taken out or even facing criminal charges uh that's that's not a risk that i feel like is appropriate in midwifery so so while we work on this growth as a profession and elevating everyone's consciousness around supporting the common goal of mid of mainstreaming midwifery um we we need to have sort of like tested trusted places and um and that's what we're creating here um there are a number of midwives around the nation that are revolutionary and are changing their community you're certainly one of them in new york city uh Wantina is another one in kentucky we just interviewed her last week um she is creating very safe space for a community in north northern kentucky and southern ohio um, and there are others around the country. I know Wendy Kleckner and, and uh, Crystal Pena in Arizona. And I've had the pleasure of meeting lots of midwives in communities where they are really breaking down the shame story. They are stopping the gossip. They are stopping the holier than thou, better conversations that are happening. They're building bridges, not only within the midwifery community, but within the medical community that we have to coexist with. So it's coming, it's happening. And to wrap up, one place where that will definitely be the case is at the Midwifery Wisdom Experience this fall. Tanya Wills, who's been our amazing guest today, will be a speaker there is talking about the problem with evidence-based care. And we're also gonna have a 20 station round robin skills and drills, epic experience. And I think Tanya is going to lead us in one of those as well. So uh, don't miss it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, if you have questions or follow up, make sure and uh, send us a message. Um, and I just I appreciate everyone. I appreciate you, Tanya. You are just an epic bright light in the world. And uh, thanks for holding down the, the fort there in New York City. <laughs> thanks so much. I can't wait to meet everybody that's coming to the conference. Yep. So all I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. All right, friends, have a fantastic evening. Sending love all around the globe. Take as good a care bye. of yourself as you do of your families. Please, you we too. need you. We need you. Okay, bye, Eddie. Bye.